1: All year long. Check out Ole's new Indulgent Moisture Body Wash online or at your favorite retailer. I'm Tracy from Stuff You Missed in History class. Are you a small business owner or even someone who dreams of entrepreneurship? Then check out season two of Mind the Business, Small Business Success Stories from iHeart Podcasts and Intuit QuickBooks. Join hosts Austin Hankwitz and Janice Torres as they interview entrepreneurs sharing insights around starting and nurturing a small business. You won't want to miss these inspiring stories of entrepreneurship and discovering ways to business differently so you can too.
0: What are you waiting for? Join Choice Privileges and start earning points toward your next stay. Find a stay for any you when you book direct at choicehotels.com, where travels come true. Welcome to Stuff You Missed
2: in History Class from HowStuffWorks.com. hello and welcome to the podcast i'm katie lambert and i'm sarah dowdy and this is our episode on burke and hare in which we learn not to die when you owe your landlord rent and that perhaps a wooden coffin is not the best coffin at least not in the time of the sack 'em up men also known as the resurrectionists
3: but to start with we are going to uh speak a little song for you Up the close and down the stair. In the house with Burke and Hare. Burke's the
2: butcher and Hare's the thief. And Knox is the boy who buys the beef. I don't think they're really talking about beef, Sarah.
3: No, I think this is a Sweeney Todd kind of situation.
2: Our subjects today, the Williams, Burke, and Hare, were killers and not resurrectionists. We want to make that clear from the beginning. But they were part of a society in which grave robbing had become a common, if not a publicly accepted career. For in the 18th and early 19th centuries, the only way medical schools could get bodies for dissection... Was from felons who were condemned to death and dissection as their fate. Wait a minute. What? Yeah, let's, let's back up a little bit. And give a history of dissection. So we have evidence that dissecting humans goes back as far as 4,000 BC. Then it was thought that your innards could tell the future. Although I much prefer the Harry Potter approach to divination instead of innards.
3: Yeah, I'd agree with that. One of our early notable dissectors was Leonardo da Vinci, of course, who believed in empirical observation. So when he drew the body, he wanted to actually understand it, to understand the structure of muscles and nerves and what was inside. But at the time, you had to dissect your cadavers in secrecy. It was not something that was looked upon kindly.
2: Well, and most people weren't even interested. They relied on Galen's texts, which were completely inaccurate. And at the time, this was how medical students learned about the human body. They would assemble in an anatomy theater, which was so crowded, they couldn't even see the body being dissected. And while they tried to look over each other's heads, they listened as an anatomy text was read to them. Whether the text matched up to the body simply wasn't a matter of concern. You know, who needs nerves anyway? You could just ignore them because no one can see. And da Vinci was
3: hoping that if you actually investigated the body, you wouldn't just learn about how everything worked, but maybe you would find the soul, which we've talked about that on an earlier podcast. And
2: he didn't. But what he did do was author the first real anatomy textbook, even though it wasn't considered important until late in the 18th century. But his text was finally widely published because this idea of empirical observation suddenly seemed essential To science, when more people who go into hospitals are ending up sicker or even dead than cured, perhaps we can figure out why. But how did dissection go so awry and lead to grave robbing?
3: So in this podcast, we're going to focus on the grave robbing situation in the United Kingdom. And the whole thing probably started with James IV in Scotland. And in the 16th century, he gave his patronage to the Edinburgh College of Surgeons and Barbers. Barbers doesn't really seem to fit in there, right? But barbers were surgeons and dentists, too, back in the day. And it wasn't until later that surgeons with actual medical training and academic knowledge were separated from barbers. So I think you could be going and getting your hair cut, get your teeth cleaned, maybe have a little light surgery. It would be a time saver. If you didn't die, yeah, it might be be a real time saver. But James was the one who
2: decided that felons who had been executed could also make good lessons for medical men, and they couldn't be buried after that. So this was a, a pretty heavy punishment. But the problem was that once medical students started dissecting, they all realized how important it was for medical knowledge to to really know the body. But there weren't many bodies. So few criminals were executed and then donated, and they all went bad since refrigeration wasn't exactly all figured out at the time. They need these bodies, but they can't get them. There's demand, but there's no supply. Or is there?
3: Well, there is a supply, and that's fresh graves, of course. And at first, the medical students actually do this themselves. They go out and dig up the graves but it's soon forbidden by med schools and it's really weird i think to imagine these young doctors going out and hunting for bodies it's very dr frankenstein so once they're forbidden someone else had to
2: steal the bodies a resurrectionist so we've got some entrepreneurship and flesh but the resurrectionist would sell the bodies to the doctors or the med students so everybody's getting what they want except perhaps the families of the deceased.
3: Yeah, and we should talk a little bit about how they would actually get these bodies, too, how a resurrectionist would work. And it was easiest to do this in pairs. Obviously, we're talking about a possibly adult body dead weight that you're lugging. And one person would be the lookout while the other one dug. And then according to an article in History Magazine by Phil Jones, there was a pretty efficient way of carrying out the exhumation. And here's what you would do. You would dig the hole at one end of the grave, and then you would crowbar the part of the coffin that you uncovered. So sort of popping it back against the soil yeah, to break it yeah and you would cover that with sacking so that it wouldn't make a really loud noise and alert authorities or angry family members and then you would put ropes around the corpse and heave it up through that hole that you've made um, but there's a weird legal loophole here and to get around it these people had to further desecrate the bodies Right. You had to take all of their clothing and
2: belongings and then put that back into the coffin. So they're stripping these corpses and returning everything to the grave. And that was because it was a crime to steal property, but there wasn't anything specifically mentioned about taking bodies. So if you just took the corpse... You were fine, but if you took a corpse who was, you know, dressed and perhaps wearing jewelry, well, that was just taking things too far.
3: (laughs) Yeah, so this obviously doesn't sit well with families, and soon we have armed guards at cemeteries and walls built with steel housings called mort-safes put over graves. Think more, actually, of like your modern cemetery with that concrete casing around uh graves. And wealthier people even were buried in metal coffins. So families were really trying to protect their dead. Our grave
2: robbers are very resourceful, however. They started buying bodies directly from the undertakers or pretending that they were the relative of a dead person and claiming the body. So they're either outright stealing the bodies before they're buried or they're getting them from an undertaker and having him fill the coffins with something else.
3: Yeah, and and in case you're wondering why people want to go through the trouble of digging up probably kind of gross old bodies and selling them, it's because it was very, very lucrative. And it turns out to be pretty lucrative for Burke and Hare, too, in 1827 and 1828 when they start their plan.
2: William Burke and William Hare were both Irishmen who ended up in Scotland. And to give you a little physical description, Burke was about 5'5 and considered attractive, while Hare was hideous and stupid looking. And this is not my assessment. (laughs) I would never be so mean. It's a contemporaries. And they were drinking buddies. Jerks tend to find each other. And they ended up in the same boarding house together. Burke was living with a woman named Helen McDougall and Hare with Margaret Laird, who ran the place after her husband died. And an opportunity arises.
3: Yeah, an old man who was boarding there died and he owed Margaret money. And so Hare suggests that maybe to get the money back and maybe even make a little extra, we should sell the body. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Why didn't I think of that? Because that's (laughs) what you do when one of your guests dies. So it was surprisingly easy. Um, A med student told them to go see Dr. Robert Knox, who was in charge of this private anatomy school and must have had a little reputation for buying bodies. And he pays them what was then several months' wages and promises more if they can find him a fresh corpse. So these two scoundrelly type of guys suddenly have a really good prospect in front of them.
2: Because how do you get the freshest of the fresh in corpses by killing someone and then delivering the corpse immediately? And that they do. Their MO was to give the person plenty of alcohol. And then when he or she was drunk or passed out, one of them would immobilize the body while the other suffocated the person with his hand over his or her mouth and nose and they killed perhaps 15 people older women younger women prostitutes beggars in general the down and out or people who were not as likely to be missed uh, their cockiness eventually caught up with them however they murdered a mentally retarded boy that everyone around town knew. And when he was brought into the anatomy lab, some of the students told Dr. Knox that they recognized him. They knew who he was. So Knox took off his face first.
3: But even then, they weren't caught quite yet. Their last victim was an older woman named Margaret Doherty. And this found out in a a very uh, poor way of running their hotel business. So there's another couple staying at the lodging house at the time, the Greys. And they're asked to leave one night, leave their room, and that's kind of weird, they think. And so when they come back the next day, uh, Mrs. Gray is trying to get back into the room to look at some of her belongings, and she's not allowed in. This is just raising their suspicions it's even something more. something fishy. Something's going on. So they wait, and when the coast is finally clear, they go back into the room, and... When she's looking for her belongings, instead she finds the body of an old woman under her bed, and it is Doherty. And Burke and Hare try to bribe them, trying to split the money with them, but they refuse, and they go to the authorities. So by the time the
2: police get there, the body had been smuggled out, but it was soon found in Dr. Knox's school in the trunk they always use to transport their bodies. And so now they're caught. But it turns out that there wasn't much hard evidence against any of them, not against Burke, not against Hare, not against their common-law wives. So to get pin any sort of crime on them, Hare was offered a deal. He and Margaret Laird could have immunity if he would testify against Burke, and he took it. The trial started on December twenty-fourth, 1858, and the very next day, Burke was found guilty of Doherty's murder. Everyone else got off completely scot-free, and no one knows for sure if the women knew about the murders or even had a hand in them, but public suspicion leaned toward yes.
3: I have to think of the poor jury on this court on Christmas Day listening to this grisly trial. They probably wanted to get out there pretty quick. Yeah. So after the conviction, Burke, in an interview, says, neither Hare nor myself ever got a body from a churchyard. All we sold were murdered, save the first one. I don't know if he thought that was better. Or if he wanted to make more of a name for himself as a, you know. I mean, clearly he's got a podcast about him now, so (laughs) I guess it worked. He was sentenced to be hanged and publicly dissected, fittingly, and that was carried out January 28th, 1829. And 20,000 people showed up to see his hanging, and 40,000 people came to see the dissected body.
2: Burke had testified that Knox didn't know where the bodies came from, but no one really believed him. Public sentiment toward Knox wasn't positive, and his students eventually went away. But the public really came after the women, and also Hare. Burke being hanged wasn't enough. They basically ran them out of town, and we don't know what happened to Hare. He may have become a beggar. He may have left for the United States. For the record, we did not want you, Hare. And plaster masks were made of both of them, perhaps for the edification of phrenologists trying to figure out what bumps exactly turns you into a criminal. In February 2009, two of them were found at a former prison in Scotland. And you can see Burke's skeleton at Edinburgh University. And supposedly, his skin was used to cover books and a snuff box.
3: Ooh, like the, the skin book at UGA. Exactly. Supposedly. Um, so... What happens after this, though? Obviously, this doesn't end this body shortage in England. We have copycats, the London burkers, who are three guys who try to sell a teenage boy's body. And he had clearly been murdered. Two are hanged. One is sent to Australia. And people start rioting, something has to be done. Imagine how scary this is. It's not just your friends and relatives' bodies being stolen from their graves anymore. You could just get bumped on the head one day and sold yourself. No one is resting in peace. In 1832,
2: Parliament took action. They passed the Anatomy Act, which detailed that appointed medical inspectors would supervise the teaching of anatomy and also the getting of the bodies. But There's more to the legal procurement of bodies. The law meant that people in a hospital who applied for treatment, basically the poor, and died, were giving up their bodies for anatomical examination, whether they liked it or not. And the same went for the workhouses. If you were too poor to afford burial, which you probably were or you wouldn't have been there, your body could be donated against your will. Between 1839 and 1841, 300 paupers had been dissected under the act, which of course was perfectly legal.
3: So it takes several decades for this unfair treatment of the poor to end, but we were talking about how it's interesting people are more willing to donate their bodies to science now. I mean, that's obviously how we get medical examination bodies. There still aren't enough. There aren't enough, but um, it's Perhaps because the bodies are eventually returned to the families, you know that they're going to be treated with a certain amount of respect. People are more willing to donate them. Although I'm going to say, I don't don't know about the respect part. Well, I, I do think of that box of 20 heads that was just found at an airport. I I'm mean, sorry, I think I completely <laughs> missed
2: that story. A box of heads?
3: There, yeah, there was a box of about 20 heads, I think, found in an airport. They stopped it because it was a, a, box of heads. a box of heads being shipped by airliner. It turned out to have the appropriate paperwork, but still people were quite upset that uh, remains were being shipped in this sort of haphazard manner. I would love to see that paperwork and how you fill out the paperwork. Oh, I thought you were going <laughs> to say see the box. No. <laughs> oh, that was
2: pushing No, it <laughs> <laughs> Let's take care of the box. But a little side note on the legacy of Burke and Hare. The word Burking is in the Oxford English Dictionary, which we English majors snotily refer to as the OED. And burking means that one person immobilizes a body while the other covers the nose and mouth of a person to suffocate them. So, Burke lives on. Yeah, this is why he gave that little quote. That gets you in the dictionary. Stuff like that. We've gotten lots of emails asking for this one, so if you have another not entirely too grisly, please, topic to suggest for us, email us at historypodcast at com. We also have a Twitter feed at Missed in History and a Facebook fan page, which you should join because we put lots of interesting historical trivia on it. And if you'd like to read a pretty cool article about snake oil, radioactive water, and implants of goat testicles that I edited, you can search for 10 instances of medical quackery throughout history on our homepage at www.howstuffworks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. And be sure to check out the Stuff You Missed in History
0: class blog on the HowStuffWorks.com homepage.
1: Long. Check out Olay's new Indulgent Moisture Body Wash online or at your favorite retailer.
2: Happy Pride from Tomboy X. We just dropped our Pride 24 collection. Queer founded, queer run, and creating size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies. So you feel comfortable in your own skin. Visit TomboyX.com to shop.
0: Have you ever wondered what it would be like to have supervision, enhanced hearing, extraordinary reflexes, to be, dare we say, superhuman? Well, Roku's new Pro Series TV can't do any of that for you but with a 4k screen side firing speakers and a blazing fast refresh rate it'll sure feel like it elevate your entertainment using all your favorite apps like iheart and play all your music radio and podcasts with the new roku pro series your senses aren't better your tv is